Amen. This morning we'll be continuing our series in 1 Samuel. It'll be 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 3 through 17. Um, this is a, uh, I'll pass this around so everyone can see. This is a rubber chicken, a small rubber chicken. Um, and I keep this uh, in my guitar case. I have since I was in high school. Um, and, and I'll explain why at the end. Okay. But for now, I'll just pass it, pass it around. Everybody should check it out. And then you can think about why I might keep that in my guitar case. All right. We're going to dive in while you guys are doing that, though. And we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 3 through 4 to start with. Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to Yahweh with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you, and direct your hearts to Yahweh and serve him only. He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth, and they served Yahweh only. So we picked up last week. Last week we talked about uh, there was the defeat, uh, the last two weeks really, we talked about the defeat of the Israelites by the Philistines, that they lost 34,000 soldiers in battle. The Ark of the Covenant was captured. It went back to the Philistines. Uh, they took it back with them, and they had all kinds of problems, boils and all this kind of uh, ravaging the land and killing people off. And, and so they decided to return it, and they returned the Ark to the Israelites. They get it back, um, and, and they kind of tuck it away in, uh, uh, in the house of uh, Eleazar. Uh, Eleazar is charged with taking care of it, and so he's taking care of it. Um, and then at some point later, right, it, that they, they decide to turn back. They want to turn back to Yahweh. They, want, they realize the error of their ways. They realize the fact that they had rebelled against God and broken the covenant he'd made with them um, to protect them. That's why they lost in battle to the Philistines. That's why the ark was captured, and they decide they want to come back. They want to worship God again. They want to turn their hearts back to him. And so Samuel lays out the conditions of this. He says, if you are returning to Yahweh with all your heart. These are the conditions for their return. They cannot come back to Yahweh half-heartedly. They can't come back to God half-heartedly. They must return with everything that they are. They must be prepared to abandon all that they had been doing instead of this. And this is what true repentance looks like. He says, listen, if this is the case, if you are doing this, if you're returning to God with all your heart, then here's what you have to do. Here's what you have to do. First off, put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth. So they had to get rid of the foreign gods that they were worshiping. And worshiping, foreign, worshiping multiple gods in this place and time was culturally, culturally normative. It was a normal thing for them to worship multiple gods. Everybody did it, right? It was like a, almost like something you would do and you're like, you know, like now you like go to visit some country and you bring back, you know, some product that they make there that's really good, right? You, you go and you, and, you, and you bring back a, you, a postcard, right? You, you bring back a keychain or something. You get a little souvenir. In, in this day, like you visited another country, you in, interacted with another people group, you asked them about their gods and, and the benefits those gods might, might have. And oh, oh, you worship Baal. Oh, tell me about him. Oh, well, he, you know, helps us with our crops. And I mean, look at the crops. <laughs> it's working out pretty good. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, what can I, 
How do I worship Baal? Okay, cool. Like, oh, I need this little idol. Okay, I'll take this back with me. Yeah, and, and, and I'll start worshiping Baal. And I'm still worshiping my God as well, but I'm also going to worship this God. Just kind of just add it in and see if I can get some benefits from these different things, right? Can I, get the, can I mix these things together to get the life that I want? But to comply with this requirement, the Israelites had to actively be countercultural, right? They had to give up these foreign gods. They had to give up all their other gods and worship Yahweh only. God is exclusive. The God that we worship is exclusive. You can't mix him with all these other gods. You can't add on these other things. But I want you to, to recognize like how that, that seems normal to us, right? You actually really don't. You probably meet some people in our culture who are like, I'm just spiritual, you know, like I, I have crystals, but I also go to church and then I, I also, you know, do some Buddhist meditations and, you know, they kind of mix things together like that. But that's not that common, certainly not among Christians. Like a lot of Christians are pretty much just, they, know, they understand, hey, it's God only. It's, well, it's God and essential oils, but, <laughs> but it's mostly God only. Right? I've, seen, I've literally seen t-shirts and stickers and stuff that say, all I need is Jesus and essential oils. I'm like, okay, that's too far. <laughs> right? So we pretty much understand that concept. We, we're pretty good about that. There's very little of that. That's not a common problem that we have in our culture. Not that it doesn't exist, but it, it's not as common as it was at this time. And for them, these were like their backups, right? This would be like if, if we told you, hey, I want you to get, away, get rid of all of your bank accounts. That's not what I'm telling you. But if I said, hey, get, you need to get away, rid of all of your, any savings that you have, you need to get, just give it away and have no savings, have nothing, nothing to fall back on. Because that's essentially what this was for them. This was, hey, if, if Yahweh's not coming through for us on the crops, we got this Baal guy as a backup. And I can go pray to him, and then maybe we'll get some rain. Right? It was their security, was having all of these multiple gods to turn to. And he's saying, no, you need to get rid of all of those things. You need to direct your heart to Yahweh only. They're to direct their hearts to him and serve him only. Samuel was not presenting this, the Israelites a new idea here. This is what they had been commanded when they entered the promised land. If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is what God had always asked of his people, and it's what he asks of us today as well. We must worship God alone. He is exclusive. It is only him. We worship and serve Jesus alone. We cannot be mixing this with other things. It's what God wants for us because he is the king, right? If he is God and he is the king, then he is the only one who deserves our worship. We should be directed only to him. 
especially based on what Jesus has done for us. If Jesus died for us and gave his life, God became a man, lived a perfect life, suffered and died for us, then he deserves our full devotion. He doesn't deserve, hey, you know, just, just on Sundays, or just on Sundays, or just, you know, at night, not when I'm at work, like work time, I got to do that separate. That's got to be something I can't be bringing that Jesus stuff to work. No, he's, he's all, it's everything. If he's king over everything, he's our, he's our creator, he's over everything, he deserves our full devotion. So we're to direct our hearts to him and serve him only. What, what Samuel is calling the Israelites to is what we call true repentance, where they're to turn their backs on their sin and walk toward God. That's the best illustration that, that I have come up with to, to talk about repentance is simply to think about, hey, if I'm, I'm walking in this direction, I'm following, I'm serving this thing, whether it's success, money, power, whatever I'm trying to get, I'm walking in one direction. And repentance means I stop going after that thing, turn my back on it, and walk toward Jesus. I'm changing the direction of my life entirely. That's what he calls us to. That's what he calls us to, to turn entirely around. That's what Samuel is asking the people here, is to turn their backs on their sin, turn their backs on these foreign gods, and walk toward Yahweh. He says, if they do that, he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Right here, they have a very direct, obvious thing that they need deliverance from. Right? They need deliverance from these enemies, these Philistines who have now occupied their towns and are at their borders, constantly threatening them, probably taking taxes from them in the sense of coming and saying, oh, it looks like your crops are, are ripe. We're just going to take half of that. You know, don't, don't worry about it. We're just going to take half of that. Oh, you don't want us to take half of it? Well, we'll just burn your town to the ground then. Right? They, they're oppressing them. They're on them all the time. This is not like a problem that has ceased. This is something that they're actively dealing with. They need deliverance from this. And again, we see the pattern that God wants his people to follow. Repent, believe, be saved. Right? This is a very direct salvation. They need salvation from this obvious enemy. But this is also the pattern he calls us to in our lives, right? As we are oppressed by our own sin, and we are oppressed, you are oppressed by your own sin. You're oppressed by your sin in the sense that it ruins your life, right? We talk about sin is loving God and loving others, and, and when you fail to do that, it causes problems in your life, right? It causes problems in your life in the sense of if you're hurting other people in your life, that's going to cause problems for you. That's going to make it difficult for you to live. Relationally, it causes problems and, and maybe even gets you in legal trouble depending on the extent of your sin. But also your relationship with God, if you're not fully directed towards him, if you're trying to find your righteousness other places, if you're trying to find happiness and success and fulfillment in things other than God, you're failing at it. You're failing at it. Like you're not, you're not gonna get it. Even if you attain what you think will make you happy, it's not going to, right? It's going to fall short and you're going to realize, wait, there's, I need something more. This isn't quite enough, 
right? There's a lot of us in this room probably who have succeeded, who have gotten to the point that you thought when you were young, if I get here, then I'll be happy. And you've gotten there and realized, nope, that wasn't it. That, I thought that was it, but turns out not. And then I need to set the bar a little higher. And then you keep going. And, and you keep tricking yourself into thinking, just one more step and then I'll be happy. But the problem at the root of that issue is you. You're not good at making yourself happy. You're very bad at determining what will satisfy you. And in, in reality, God knows because he is your creator. And if we turn our lives over to him, if we turn our back on our sin, which is anything that's not loving God and loving others, so directing our hearts towards anything else would be sin, we repent, we believe in him, we give our lives to him, we accept the forgiveness that he offers us on the cross and turn our lives over to him. Repent, believe, be saved. This is what Peter preached in Acts chapter 3. We see Peter say, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. We'll look next year at verses 5 through 11. We see where we see the Israelites repent. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to Yahweh for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before Yahweh and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against Yahweh. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to Yahweh our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to Yahweh. And Samuel cried out to Yahweh for Israel, and Yahweh answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel but Yahweh thundered a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and drew them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far below as Beth Car. So they, there's this whole thing in the beginning of this where they're, they're drawing water and pouring it out. That was a, a, a symbol of their repentance. Uh, that was something that was cultural for them as a sign of repentance is pouring this water out. And they also fasted and declared their sin. They were taking this repentance seriously. They're doing a symbolic thing, but they were also physically fasting and declaring what they had done. Israel had gathered at Mizpah before. In Judges chapter 20, verse 1, we see it there where he says, Then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man to Yahweh and Mizpah. Now, in this instance, in Judges chapter 20, uh, they're gathering to avenge an evil, uh, which is a pretty wild story that ends the book of Judges. Uh, you want to check it out this week? Read Judges chapter 20. It's the first time they gather at Mizpah. It's pretty wild. But I want us to, to focus on one specific phrase in Judges chapter 20, verse 1 here, where it says, the congregation assembled as one man to Yahweh and Mizpah. They're gathering collectively as one man. They're gathering, we are Israel. We are one. They, they're gathering in unity to the extent that it's as though they're gathering as one person, 
as one being, as the nation, collectively. And it's what they're doing here in Samuel as well. Israel was regularly judged as a collective. And so we see collective sin and repentance. God often judged Israel as a group. It wasn't just individuals that had sinned, but the nation as a whole was wayward. And this concept of collective sin that we see over and over in Scripture is, uh, is really uncomfortable for modern Christians. The idea of accepting this idea of collective sin, that we as a collective, as a people might have collective sin is difficult. It's certainly true that our individual sin determines our eternal destiny. We must individually repent and accept the forgiveness that we've been offered by Jesus. That's what determines our individual eternal destiny is what we do about our sin in relation to Jesus. But there is a sense in which we are responsible for our community. Not necessarily with people that we have no contact with or influence over, but with those we do. That we're responsible for our families. We saw this demonstrated in the fate of Eli and his sons. We're responsible for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're our church family. And Jesus actively calls us to this responsibility. We see in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 4, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Notice what Jesus says there. He says, pay attention to yourselves. And he's saying collectively, like you all. That's a plural. He's saying yourselves as a group. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to your group. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. We're responsible for one another. And so that, that's just something that I know, I know is very uncomfortable for a lot of Christians today, is that idea of being responsible for one another, being a part of a group is on its own. So many people just reject that entirely and, and want to be out there being a, a lone wolf. But we are responsible for one another. We are called and created and designed to be in community and to be responsible for one another. We also see here that the Philistines then went up against Israel. So they, they come, uh, they arrange themselves in battle to go and fight Israel. They hear that Israel is gathered at Mizpah and they gather for war. Now, again, when we take this and, and we are very much intended in the Old Testament, as we read the Old Testament and see what Israel does and the enemies that it faces, we're very much intended to take that and make that an analogy for us and our sin, right? that our enemy is sin and it can come up against us. And especially in this kind of a moment, it's not an accident that Israel gathers for repentance and then the Philistines come up against them. Because trust me, if you go through a period of repentance, if you go and try to repent, you go, I'm going to give up on my sin and I'm going to walk toward Jesus, you can bet your sin's coming after you. You can bet the day that you decide to do If you leave here today and you go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live a better life this week. I'm going to follow Jesus closer this week. I'm going to turn my back on this sin that I've been, that I've been keep coming back to. I'm going to not do that this week. I'm going to walk away from it and I'm going to follow Jesus. You can bet that you are going to be attacked. You can guarantee that you're going to have an attack that week. You're going to have a stronger desire to turn back to that than you ever have before. Something's going to happen that's going to make you want to go back to that. 
Same thing if you step out and just say, you know what, I want to live for Jesus more. I want to serve. You know, I'm going to sign up for Wednesday club. I'm going to sign up to serve in children's ministry, something like that, that you can bet in those moments you're going to get attacked. You're going to have stronger temptation. You're going to have something happen that makes you want to lash out or to turn back to your sin. Just like this, the Philistines go up against Israel when they gather for repentance. And what do the Israelites do? They tell Samuel, don't stop praying for us. Don't stop praying for us. Their number one goal is that, is that their, their number one priority is that Samuel will not cease to cry out to Yahweh our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. In that moment, they stay correct. Right? They are still in the right place. Their hearts are in the right place. Their repentance was real, and they recognize that they need God in order to, to defeat this. And they tell Samuel, don't stop praying for us. And that's your best strategy in those moments when you do get attacked, is to turn to a brother or sister in Christ and tell them, will you pray for me? I'm feeling tempted. I'm going through the, the, I, this thing just happened and, and I'm feeling like lashing out or I'm feeling like turning back to my sin or whatever it is. Call up a brother or sister in Christ and ask them to pray for you. Because the Israelites are understandably afraid of the Philistines here. They had already lost 34,000 soldiers. Samuel does it. He prays for them. He offers a, a lamb as a burnt offering just as the battle is about to begin. And God comes through for them. It says Yahweh thundered a mighty sound. Sonic battle here. The Philistines are thrown into confusion and panic. They're defeated. And the Israelites pursue them to Beth Car, which means house of sheep. Mizpah, interesting, is, is, uh, means lookout. It's actually like has a militaristic connotation to it, that it's like a lookout tower. That's what kind of that, that word means. And here it's very much being used for battle. Because Samuel was doing the most important fighting as he prayed and sacrificed to Yahweh. And that's what we need to see here is where and when was this battle won? Because the Israelites won this battle before it even began. Their repentance had changed everything. Their relationship with Yahweh was restored so that he, might, he would fight for them instead of allowing their enemies to destroy them. They had not gotten any better since their last battle, right? They had gotten worse. They would lost many good soldiers. But in their weakness, they turned back to God. In their fear and their weakness, they turned to God, and that gives them the victory. This is what Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10, where he, he starts talking about, Paul, Paul was a very powerful guy. Like he, he was, before he came to Christ, he was a, a, the best of the best as far as uh, Judaism goes, right? He was, he memorized much of the Old Testament. He was zealous. I mean, he was on fire for Yahweh before he came to Christ. He just didn't recognize that Jesus was the Messiah at first until he lets him know for sure. So he had a lot to, to boast about, but he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelation, a re revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that I should leave, it should leave me. But he said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh that harassed him, and we don't know what it was. It's kind of unclear. It's kind of vague as to what it was. People speculate that it was some kind of physical ailment. Um, some, some people talk about these like chronic headaches that he may have gotten that, that are often described as like a thorn in the flesh, and there's a lot more reasons why that might be the case. But it also might have been just some temptation or something else, like something more spiritual that was uh, constantly harassing him. And, and he says, I became content in it. I prayed that God would remove it from me, but I became content in it by recognizing that in my weakness, that's where God could be strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. That's why he says, I'm content with weaknesses, with insults, right? He was often run out of town. People didn't like what he had to say about Jesus. With hardships, again, he often was going through hardships as he was doing that, being persecuted, having calamities happen to him. Because when he was weak, he recognized that's where God would allow him to be strong. So what we see in this passage, that the Israelites are a much weaker force, but they turn to God and he is their strength. The same is true for us today. It is in our weaknesses that we access true strength, the power of God. We'll look lastly here at verses 12 through 17. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now Yahweh has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of Yahweh was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there also he judged Israel, and he built an altar to Yahweh. So Samuel commemorates this battle by setting up a stone. He sets up this rock. He calls it Ebenezer. It means stone of help. And this would help Israel to remember Yahweh's help in this battle. And he says, till now Yahweh has helped us. He wanted the Israelites to recognize that it was not just in this battle, but throughout their history that God had been with them, that he had been helping them all along. And this was a marker, this was a moment, a significant moment in which they turned back to him. He wanted to mark it so they would remember they could go back to this place, see the stone, remember. It's a, more, it's a memorial that they could go back and remember what God had done. We also see Samuel then goes on this judging circuit. He's the judge over Israel all the days of his life. And he would travel between these cities, essentially just hearing cases and rendering judgments, right? If you had an issue you needed to deal with, you would take it to one of these cities in which Samuel was on his route and you could hear, have it tried there. This was their governmental system before they had a kingdom. This is the system that is also described in uh, the book of Judges. And it was effective means for dispensing justice 
without the pomp and circumstances that, com- that comes with royalty. But next week, we'll see that the Israelites would not remain satisfied with the system. I want to wrap up, though, with this pointing back to this idea of this Ebenezer stone that, that he sets up, right? This Ebenezer memorial that they could go back and see and remember this moment, go back and take their children and say, I was there. I, I was there when this happened. It was incredible. God made this loud sound. Philistines ran. It was an incredible moment. And this is what this rock represents. Our God came through for us. This is where, what, what he has done, and this is how we remember it. And I want us to think about how do you remember what God has done for you? Because it's important that we give ourselves ways to remember what God has done for us. And physical objects can be helpful as we seek to follow Jesus more closely. The Israelites were even commanded to alter their garments for this purpose. We see in Numbers chapter 15, 37 through 41, Yahweh said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of Yahweh to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you were inclined to whore after. So you shall remember to do all my commandments and be holy to our God. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Yahweh your God. So they have this physical reminder, right? They would, they would make these cords and put them on, the, on their garments so they would always have it there and recognize it and go, why is this there? Oh yeah, I'm supposed to remember God. It's not that those things gave them any power, right? They weren't looking at that and going like, oh, I have this tassel on my garment. That means I am a superhero. No, it's to remember to obey God. And remember, you belong to him. You're marked. And that's why these physical things can be let me throw it up here. No. That's why physical things can be an important reminder. That's where this rubber chicken comes in. So this rubber chicken is one of many things. I also have um, a couple of random things mounted on the wall in my office that if you ever come in and you go, "What is that thing?" Um, that's part of the reason it's there, is so you can ask me, "Why do you have that there?" And I'll, I'll tell you the story. But this is uh, just something that when I was in high school um, and, and uh, going on, on Mexico mission trips was one of the, the main ways that God worked in my life to, to like turn me over to serving him all the time. Um, because I, I loved it so much. I loved being there. I loved the feeling that it gave me. And it, it made me start thinking of like, how can I have that feeling all the time? And, and realizing that like, oh, it's because when I'm there, I'm fully devoted to him all week long. I'm all, all in. Um, and, and not thinking of anything else. I'm fully serving him and realizing, oh, I can actually do that anytime. Um, and, and this is something that, uh, that I got when I was there one year. Uh, we often do uh, a VBS with the kids. Uh, and I was in high school, and, um, and uh, we were doing the VBS. I would play guitar and sing songs with them and do these crazy skits and things like that, and we do crafts with them. Um, and one day they, they came and gave this to me, uh, and they gave it to me because uh, I was in high school, and it, when I was in high school, uh, I used to bleach my hair pretty regularly. And so I had this bleached hair, blonde hair, and I was wearing, I would wear like a bandana when I was working there, and so my hair was kind of like sticking straight up and like back like this, and, uh, and they thought I looked like a chicken. And so they called me uh, Pollo Loco. Uh, and so they gave me this 
chicken. And so I've carried it in my guitar case ever since. And it reminds me of how God used me there and, and the feelings that I had there and reminds me uh, of how God can use me in, in, uh, for his kingdom. Um, and, and so that's just an example of that kind of thing. It's not a big deal. It's not like the biggest thing in the world. But when I, I keep it there all the time, and then when I get my guitar out and I go to change strings or something, I see it and remember it, and, and it draws me back to him. So I'll wrap up with how should we then live. And I got a little more direct uh, challenge for you this week. The first one is that I would like you to create a physical reminder of what God has done for you this week. Not necessarily what he's done this week, but I want you to make something this week. So whether that's like you're going to go home and you're a painter, you want to paint something, uh, you want to write a poem, you want to build something, whatever, create something in your life. And it can be even simply as a sticky note, as a, as a post-it note that you're going to put somewhere and, and maybe write a verse on or whatever, but create something, create something in your life, somewhere in your world that you will encounter that will remind you of what God has done for you or what he's doing in your life right now. Um, these can be uh, powerful reminders for us. Number two, uh, allow your weakness to draw you to God's strength, right? Allow the, 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 th- the places you feel weak, the places you feel vulnerable, the places you feel like you're not good enough, not strong enough, allow those things to draw you to God's strength. That's how we're designed. It's what we're meant to do. And lastly, practice true repentance. Truly turn your back on your sin and walk toward Jesus. I'm going to pray here in just a minute. We're going to take communion in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for us, of his death on the cross for us. Uh, and, and the forgiveness that we find there, the fact that we can re- feel free to repent and, and because we know that forgiveness has been secured for us. Um, and then we're going to sing one final song uh, that is also about, about remembrance. Uh, it's, it'll seem odd seasonally, but it, it is about remembrance. That's why we're doing it. Um, and then if you'd like any prayer for anything, we got people that'll be right over here that would love to pray for you. Just walk on up over here and and they would love to pray for you. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning that we can gather in your name. And and God, I I pray that we would repent, uh, even weekly, daily, of the ways that we stray from you. I pray that we would do that now as we prepare our hearts for communion. We would confess our sin and know that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we are so grateful for what you have done for us, and may we remember your faithfulness. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.